This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to metaphorically get out our wallet, flip through all those cards, grab that family zoo membership, take it to the gate, and see if they let us in. We've got plenty of animals this week as we're going to look at 1995's 12 Monkeys. So get ready for time travel and primates as we revisit 12 Monkeys. Welcome back, friends. This is Is That Movie Still Good? Nate and I are here, ready to talk about 12 Monkeys. Before we get started, I want to give uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening and sharing with your friends, getting more and more listens every time we drop one of these, and uh, so it's very exciting. Um, continue to look for us. Um, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, uh, Google Play Music, whatever your platform podcast is. Uh, so, Nate, I, I did some demographics as far as where our listeners are coming from. You want to guess where we're getting the most hits? What state's giving us the most listens? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ohio. Ohio's a good guess. We're based in Kentucky. Nate is from Ohio originally, but shout out to Michigan. Hey, Michiganders. Oh, you Michigan. guys, <laughs> Michiganders oh. are, are listening to the podcast, so oh. thanks a lot up there. I don't know who I went to high school with that's in Michigan listening, but... Hey, thanks a lot for checking it out. Um, anyway, so here we go. 12 Monkeys, 1995. It's the year I graduated from college. Um, and this was a big popular it's the movie. the year I was supposed to graduate from college. Oh, what? <laughs> Not quite the one I actually did, though. That's all right. <laughs> you're, you're younger than me, so that's yeah. okay. Um, so what, what do you remember about this movie, Nate? What, tell me about your uh, opinions about this one. I, I really liked this one when it came out. I, I, I can't recall if I went to the theater or not uh, to see it. But as soon as it was available, watched it, loved it. Really got into it. Probably saw it four or five times within the first year or so that it was available to me. Then it just, like everything else, kind of dropped off the radar, moved on with life. And really, I maybe caught bits and pieces of it over the last 20 years, but not not from start to finish. So it was kind of fun to kind of go back and do that. Yeah, I watched this movie once. I, I didn't see it in the theater, went to Blockbuster, rented it, watched it in my apartment, and uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was really good and uh, had not revisited it until we got into this project and decided to do this movie so i I liked it again this time well you know it's it it was a good movie for the 90s when you think of like all the different types of movies that were that were coming out then and you had a a really kind of young emerging brad pitt he had been in some things but when the production of this movie started they actually got him for a really cheap price because he hadn't become that popular that's right that's right and by the time this movie hit he had two or three others where he became a star exactly and and you know of course bruce willis already done three diehard movies so Mm -hmm. bruce in moonlighting yeah so he was an established star madeline stowe was probably the prime of her at least cinematic career so so it was and it was a good plot it was interesting um, so I, th- I think overall there are a lot of things about this movie that just kind of fit in with that kind of grungy 90s culture uh, that, that, you know, that, that, made it, that made it exciting to watch then. Sure, for sure. I agree with that. And uh, the, the characters, all the actors were kind of at their peak. And interesting to talk about like Bruce Willis in this movie. Um, he wasn't the first uh, choice to play that role. I know we talk about that a lot, but Terry Gilliam um, originally wanted, depending on what uh, resource you look at either Jeff Bridges or Nick Nolte to play the role that Bruce Willis had, um, because he had directed uh, Jeff Bridges before. And uh, well, Jeff Bridges was still good. He was good, but the studio wanted a bigger star because uh, Bridges hadn't had a hit since Fabulous Baker Boys, and Nolte uh, hadn't had a hit since um, 
a big hit since another 48 hours. So, um, yeah, and they, Nolte, as we've talked about before, you know, on the Cape Fear one, Nolte was kind of start, starting to slide down. Do you think this would have saved Nolte's career? It would have helped it. I'm not sure it would have saved it. I, I don't think it would have saved yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think it's a powerful enough movie to no, save anyone's that. career. No, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't think it built or saved anyone's career. And, and, and being that it had some big stars in it, I think it was like a good movie. Because you think of these big stars like, like a Willis, a Pitt, Nolte, and Bridges, all these guys, they make lots of movies. And there's some movies that are kind of career makers. There's some that are career breakers. And then there's some that are just, hey, good movie, make some money. Get, put good performance in, but then move on to the next one. Didn't hurt you or help you that That's right. That's right. And I think yeah. that's what the, where this movie was for all these actors that were involved. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And, 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 you know, going back to Brad Pitt, this was the first time that we really, we, we had seen him do some crazy stuff. Right. You know, but this is where we really first saw him, like, just crazy, like, goofy, just, you know, and, I mean, the scenes... Haven't seen them in 20 years. When I saw them again a few weeks ago, when I watched this, just his hand movements, his facial gestures, and, and he's got this crazy eye going on yeah. the whole time. So obviously he's got like some type of contact or something like that. But I think this really kind of established him as being able to do a multi range of different type of acting because you know um, I, I think he'd been through um, what was the the movie he did with Robert Redford when he was one of the sons. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, River runs through River's, it. Yeah, you know, and he kind of played that type of character and. You know, he played some other types of characters, but I think this is where we really start to see Pitt develop his range overall. I think in that era, that's exactly right. And if, if one of the things I like to think about is whose movie is this? Well, it's Bruce Willis's movie for sure, but it's Brad Pitt's the the best thing going in this movie in terms of his acting. And an interesting story about all of his tics and his craziness, Terry Gilliam, the director, was concerned that he wouldn't be able to pull all that off. He didn't trust him as an actor at that point. So in order to do it, Brad Pitt was a smoker at the time. Don't know if he still is, but Gilliam took away his cigarettes during shooting in order to kind of get that that tweaky, uh, edgy vibe going on with him. And obviously, that worked pretty well. I think this was a good movie for both Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis because, for, from a Brad Pitt perspective, you know, obviously he was still the pretty boy guy, right? And you think of all the pretty boys that we have in Hollywood right now, and then, you know, they make good movies and all that. They bring they bring people to the gate. But this is where he, you know, like I said, established himself as a more rangy. I can do more things. I, I'm a real actor, which yeah. I, which I think Brad Pitt's a fabulous actor. I think he's probably in the top five, at least ten of our generation. He's, as I went through this, he is for all the pretty boy business. He's one of the best actors we have going right now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think what it did too for Bruce Willis is it established Bruce Willis. You know, he had been the TV funny guy. Mm-hmm. Then he became the action hero, coming off the heels of like the Stallone and the Schwarzenegger super muscular guys. He's still a big guy, but he's not that. Right. But he became like this diehard like superhero type person. But then he starts kind of doing like movies like this and like The Fifth Element and mm-hmm. these kind of movies to where he's just a little bit strange, but he's still a tough guy and he blends that together so well. So I think, you know, I mean, at, the, at a macro level, you really don't see that. But when you encompass this around their whole career arc, I think this movie does do both of them great favors. I, I agree with that. And uh, another quick note about Gilliam and, and his direction style. When, when they got into this film, he gave Bruce Willis um, a list of Willis acting cliches 
that you cannot use. You cannot give the steely-eyed glare in this. And other things that he had done throughout all of his... Oh, but um, he does, and we'll get to that at one point. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> but but it's not the excessive level that right. you see in his other ones. Yeah, so, so this is a good movie. So, you know, you talk about time travel, science fiction. So here's basically how it starts. You got the whole, you know, and they do this in movies all the time, right? So the, it starts out with this big opening statement. Five billion people will die from a deadly virus in 1997. The survivors will abandon the surface of the planet. Once again, the animals will rule the world. Did they get any copyright trouble from Planet of the Apes? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. was just like he's just like he's like we've done this before, <laughs> but nobody remembers that one. So so it starts out and it says an excerpt from an interview with a clinically diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, April twelfth, nineteen ninety, Baltimore County Hospital. So that's kind of a nice little tease. And yeah. then it flashes to the scene, which is a good scene, but a little overused as the movie goes along, mm-hmm. which is the boy in the, the boy airport. in the airplane terminal. The, yeah. yeah, the boy in the airplane terminal watching somebody get gunned down. Mm-hmm. And, and it starts out the scene uh, where it's you you see the boy, you don't you see the back of the person getting shot, you see the back of the lady chasing, but there's not any details. But as the movie progresses, it continues to build on this scene. And, you know, to, to get to the, even a point where it kind of fakes you out a little bit. Um, and then actually the movie concludes for all intents and purposes with this scene too. So this is one of several kind of threads that are woven throughout this story. And, and I say one of several, not in a positive way. Yeah. Because there's several other ones that we'll talk about here in, in a few moments that they kind of overdo this. We're trying to tie it all together. Yeah. And, and I get that. It's a time travel movie. You're wanting to bring all these pieces together. But, you know, you know every movie is not perfect. Right. No, that's right. Well, and this is a two-hour film that is based upon a 28-minute French film called La Jetée. Which is uh, a time travel film. Yeah, Chris Walker. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, it's 1962. And, yeah. And it's set in, in an airport terminal and it's about a, a, a World War II, um, vet who's having some time travel stuff. And so it's, it, it's all, it's, it's a two hour movie based on a 28 minute film, basically, right? So you've got to, you've got to do some creative stuff. And obviously there are some of those, um, overdone threads throughout the movie. How how uh, tempted were you to actually try to find uh, Les Jetés I on did, YouTube? I tried and to watch find it. it. I was very very tempted. I looked at it and uh, it was going to cost a little more money to rent than I wanted to spend that night. How so much? I let it ride. How many francs? I, it, it was it was about ten bucks. So so the, you know as the, as the movie moves on, you 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 open up you know after this kind of setup staging of the the movie, you move to this kind of. Uh, Kind of, you figure out it's a jail, but it's not a normal jail. It's it's a cell. It's 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 very you know filthy and and, and dirty. And, and basically, you see Bruce Willis, and then his cellmate or the person next to him is is Jose, played by John Seda. I really don't know anything about John. Bruce Willis's character's name is James Cole. Right. And there's this announcement: Cole has been picked for volunteer duty. Mm-hmm. And and then you can tell real quick that you don't want to be picked for volunteer right, right. duty. Yeah, you know, and but he's like he has to do it, you know, because he's a prisoner. And they take him and they basically like put him in a you know bunch of suits. They spray him off, and you quickly kind of figure out, hey, they're like sub- subterranean, and you kind of got that from the lead in anyway. Yeah. And so they he eventually climbs out of this manhole. They put him in this massive bubbly thing, like right wasn't yeah. it a bubble suit at that point? Yeah, it was a total bubble suit. Yeah, and and so quickly, I was stunned by by the the 
primitiveness of the future vision in this movie, right? Like if this movie was made in 2018, all that underground stuff, the technology is is much better now. Like we would be better subterranean people today than we would have been. Well, you know, there's a scene that comes up later where he's sitting in this chair that gets like lifted up in front of all the people. And the movie actually had got sued because somebody had actually invented that chair and they didn't get his permission to use that type of chair. And they actually had to settle. Um, you know, not a huge amount, but yeah, but they, they had to write a check. They had, they had to write a check. Well, for and that, that thing kept breaking down. I think during the movie, from what I read, like it was it, oh. every time they use it, it, it screwed up. So that was probably money poorly spent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's part of the set designer on that one. But so so Cole comes out in in Baltimore, and it's all snowy, and he's in a super suit, and he's out there to collect bugs. And so you know, you kind of know this pandemic thing happened. And they're trying to find out, is it still safe on the surface? And there's all these animals around, lions and bears and all that type of stuff. And and he gets back underground, and uh, they're hosing him off, mm-hmm. cleaning him off, and we got our first Bruce Willis butt shot. Yeah. First of many to come. Stay tuned, ladies. There's more. <laughs> exactly. There will be more to come. And, uh, and the doctors tell him they have a special mission for him because he did a really good job, you know, just going up and collecting bugs. I mean, did other people fail collecting bugs? I don't know. Like, well, he did come face to face with a bear. Maybe the bear took one of them down. Yeah, you don't know. Who knows? Everybody in that prison was scarred. Right. <laughs> so, That's right. That's right. They had scars all over themselves. But you know, and so, and then the movie switches, and this is where the movie starts. And it's already done this two or three times. We're not even ten minutes into the movie yet. It, it's constantly switching from like one time space place to another mm-hmm. yeah and it's almost sometimes a little distracting it is yeah it's non-linear for sure and it, it takes a minute for you to wrap your brain around what you're watching as yeah. far as that's concerned yeah and, here, and here's where we get like introduced to madeline stowe mm-hmm. what do you think about madeline stowe i think she's a serviceable actress i think she's good um her filmography does not contain a bunch of gems she's got a few that are good uh but she's not my favorite well and th- this is probably might have been why i like this movie um a lot more at the time, and I can't remember if it came out right before or right after, but probably my you know top two or three movies of all time is Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, yeah. And she's so in that I obviously at this period of my life had a massive crush on Madeline Stowe, and so you know that might have added to. But as I kind of watched this movie, she's not as strong as I remember. Yeah, no. I mean, like I said, serviceable but not elite. Yeah, and she's so she's a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and she's you know looking into all this type of stuff, and um, she's like works for the county, and and so they she gets called in from her little lecture, and and goes into county to meet some person they arrested that beat up a bunch of cops that they can't ID, and of course it's Bruce Willis, and he's naked, right? <laughs> so so why 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 must we time travel naked? Well, Terminator did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the style of the era, like if, if we time traveled back to, you know, 1860, we'd look real weird. But you'd at least be clothed. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you look weird or naked. I guess that's right. I mean, even in the 1860s, you'd probably get like shot on the spot. Well, that's true. It'd probably be worse. Yeah, it'd probably be worse. But we get more time travel naked throughout the movie, so. We do. And that's, I, I you know, I don't I, I don't know if there's like a theory behind why we must try, you know, time travel naked, but apparently there might be. So so anyway, they don't know what to do with Cole. She doesn't know what to do with Cole. Um, so they send him off to a mental institution. And this is where we meet Brad Pitt for the first time, mm-hmm. um, because the orderly or whoever brings uh, you know, uh, Bruce Willis into the mental institution goes up to Brad Pitt, who thinks he's sane. Right. And he's clearly not. Correct. Which makes the character even better, mm-hmm. and says, show the guy around. 
And so, you know, Brad Pitt's just doing this, like, little crazy he's thing. He's twitchy. He's, yeah. But, but the funny thing is, is this is, like, one of the craziest. So I, I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest a few nights ago. And I think, because I wanted to compare the mental hospital and One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest mm. to the mental hospital here. And I think 12 Monkeys has some crazier people in it. No question. No <laughs> doubt about that. I, it's much darker and much bleaker. And quickly, the mental institution on that, the asylum scenes, are shot at Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Now, it's a penitentiary built in 1829. So obviously it's old. Obviously it's dark. I'm sure Sorry. it's haunted. Well, and it is. When, when they built it, they built that place as a place to be more humane to the prisoners. But in their, their humanity and that's air quotes around that, they forced silence upon all of the prisoners. When they walked out of their cells, they had to wear hoods. They were not allowed any communication with uh, anybody else. And so people would go in there as criminals, and they'd come out insane. So it's it's got a really dark history, that, that building. Mm, that's interesting. And it was a pretty creepy building. It was. So I was struck by this. We did Dave last week which was set in the early 90s. And when he time travels back to the early 90s, the early 90s in 12 Monkeys is so much darker and so much bleaker. It was, well, and they were only, what, 60 miles away? They were in yeah, Baltimore right. and Dave was in Washington. That's exactly right. And Dave, Dave was, may have been president while this happened. <laughs> Dave was president while this happened. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, so you know, Cole gets interviewed by the doctors. Yeah, they're doing, and of course, Madeline Stowe is one of the doctors. And then the one the, the main doctor, but he actually is the guy that played the Riddler, in the Batman, oh, in the old TV, Batman, the old TV Batman show, TV yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll run across his name here in a little bit, but um, oh, Frank Gorshin, Frank okay, Gorshin, okay, yeah, 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 he was yeah. The, he was the Riddler in the old Bamwan Batman show. Yes. But um, so they're interviewing him, and of course, you know, Cole's like, "I'm not crazy. I shouldn't be here." But that's when they start asking him where he thinks he's at. Yeah, and he thinks he's in 1996 because that's where the where they where they were trying to send him. And they, right. they right, they they, they uh, messed up the dial on their. Time travel machine. Nobody said time travel was easy. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I tried to. Uh, I tried to time travel once. I went to bed, but I woke up tomorrow. Yeah, that's the best I've ever done as well. That's about as good as I can do. So, so anyway, Cole asked the doctors if they've heard of the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. Right. And of course, they haven't yet because it's 1990. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then that's you know, I thought he was coming in 1996. And so then Cole tells them he's from the future, which I'm sure they didn't believe, mm-hmm. and that five billion people are going to die. In ninety six and ninety seven, and he's coming from the future to try to try to find the virus, you know, so he can you know try to save, save it, the world, save, right. save the world, yeah, yeah. People, so they're going to send him stuff. back. They're going to so they're sending people back to try to find the virus, and and then once they they isolate it, then they're going to send scientists back to try to figure out what's going on with the virus and how can we stop it. So that's what's going on there. Yeah, and, and it, you know, and, it, and it's 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 kind of building and kind of setting the stage for like you know this whole kind of apocalyptic. Going back and forth, you know, chasing the virus, which it's not like a new plot necessarily. Not at all. But kind of to your point a few moments ago, just the the set design and all that type of stuff. So, you know, we've talked about Terry Gilliam a few times. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I think most people know who Terry Gilliam is. But if you but if you don't, Terry Gilliam uh, was a member of Monty Python's troupe. And so this is a guy who has had a fascinating career. Terry Gilliam was born in Minnesota, moved to L.A. Now... In the 60s, amidst all of the political turmoil, he feared he might become a terrorist and move to England. And so once he was there, he started working uh, as an animator on a children's television show called Do Not Adjust Your Set. And from that, he hooked up with Eric Idle and the Monty Python guys, and he did all the animation for Flying Circus. He acted in those Little movies. Flowers yes, and all, all that. the bizarre yeah. cutout sequences. He did that. Um, he directed Monty Python and the Holy Grail, he directed Meaning of Life. Uh, and then he's had some really interesting movies later in life. He did 
Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He did Time Bandits. He did Fisher, Fisher King. King. Yep. He did The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. He was very prolific in that uh, 80s time period. And then in 2006, he renounced his American citizenship. Yeah. I, I, I'm out, man. I'm Dude, done. Dude, I'm done with you guys. Yeah, so, so everybody that wants to renounce their American citizenship now or yeah. in the last five or six years, he beats you to it. That's exactly you're right. Uh, no, he, but he, but he, you know, he's also got been nominated for an Oscar for yes. Brazil. Yes, which, Brazil. Which I was right. telling somebody about this podcast, uh, I don't know, a uh, uh, week or so ago, and they said, "Have you ever seen Brazil?" And I said, "No, I haven't. I've never seen it. I have no idea." But he was nominated for an Oscar for it, and apparently, there's some similar themes in Brazil and in this film too. Yeah, well, you know, he's been accused of there being a trilogy between Brazil, this movie. And I forget maybe what the last one was, but uh, maybe one that you know wasn't as popular. Right, right. And he and I, I, he jokingly said, "I don't think it's a trilogy, but if you all think it is, go ahead, go for it. Yeah, yeah go for it. Knock yourself out." But you know, the the Oscar nomination for Brazil was for best original screenplay, mm-hmm. but then he got a Golden Globe nomination for The Fisher King. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's you know, I mean, this guy's had a really good career. Yeah, he's had he's had a great career, and he's directed some uh, excellent. Actors throughout and actresses throughout the career. So here's a fun trivia question. He's directed three Academy Award winning actors. Can you name them? Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, both of them Fisher King. They both uh, have one actor, yes. Yeah. Um, and the, the third one? Johnny Depp. Does he won one? Mercedes Rule. Actually um, won for Fisher King. Really? She won supporting actress in Fisher King. So, all, well, Robin Williams didn't get, didn't get nominated. Neither no, Bridges or Williams did not got, win for that particular for, film. For, for, yeah, right. Okay, yep, gotcha. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I mean, really good career. Now, uh, he, for 12 Monkeys, from what I understand, he did, when he got the rights to the movie or when was asked to do the movie from the production company, he did have a lot of stipulations, and they mm-hmm. gave it to him. They gave him, like, you know, license to, to create it the way he wanted. And most of the actors in this film worked for less than market value because they wanted to work with Gilliam. Yeah. And in fact, he was so popular. J.K. Rowling, Rowling, uh, the Harry Potter author, she wanted him to direct Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The studio wanted someone who was going to be more mainstream, and they ended up with Chris Columbus, which ended up fine for them. But it, that would have been a fascinating movie in his hands, I think. Yeah, no, I think so. I think he would have done well with that story. Uh, so, so kind of back to what's going on in the movie. They're still at the mental hospital... It's at nighttime. Bruce Willis is wanting to get out and wanting to escape. And Brad Pitt comes over. They're starting to become friends. And so Brad Pitt decides to make this big scene to like try to, you know, kind of stir the place up, you know, to to see if they can uh, get Bruce Willis out. So now we get to see Brad Pitt's butt. So here we are. We're fifteen, you know, twenty minutes in. We got we got another butt. I I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's Buttsville, USA. <laughs> it is. It's it's pretty bad. But so the next day they're watching a TV show and. Brad Pitt's character comes up to Cole, and his character, Brad Pitt's character's name is Jeremy Goins. Right. Jeremy Goins. So Goins comes up to Cole, and Cole had just been given a bunch of prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. So he was, like, completely whacked out. Zonked. Yep. Zonked. And uh, Goins comes up to him and gives him a key and is like, hey, now's your time to escape. Now's your time to escape. And he goes, like, crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, and Bruce Willis, Cole, kind of finds a way to escape, but then he gets caught up in a hallway, and they catch him. And then they put him in a room, total isolation, solitary, and leave him there. And then when they go back to check, he's completely gone. Mm-hmm. So here we have another one of these, like, time-jumping time travel. things. Yep. Which, most times in this movie, when you have a time-jumping scene, guess what you also get? Nudity. Well, that... Yes. And you get the boy at the airport. Oh, right. You know, we go back to the boy at the airport, and we get, like, another little, like, cookie crumble-like thing dropped on us, um, which, 
you know, once again, just a little bit too much, you know, bouncing back and forth. Once again, you know, he's back in jail. He, it, it's two the doctors are talking to him. They're going, you know, we want to send you to the right ear. We're going to try all these types of things. And Bruce Willis is kind of starting to kind of freak out a little bit, kind of like wondering, what am I doing? What's going on in these different time spaces? But for some reason, he's really, really passionate about trying to solve this mystery of the 12 monkeys. Right, right. Almost too much. Too much. Well, do you think that he's really passionate about trying to solve the mystery, or he just doesn't want to be in that jail, that that, that subterranean prison situation that he's in when he goes back? Well, I mean, who would want to be there? Correct. Right, like you want out, like okay, I'm going back, like because he's so in moments in that in that uh, movie where he can breathe the clean air when he hears um, Blueberry Hill on the radio, mm-hmm. he's almost orgasmic because it's like ah, music and air, and so yeah, he's constantly talking about how fresh the air is. Yes, constantly yes. talking about. How fresh and the so air is. I think it's less about him dying to solve the the puzzle and more about I'll do whatever I have to do. This is the best assignment I'm ever going to get. Yeah, and and you know other people want the assignment, and as we learn later in the movie, other people are getting They're the getting assignment it, yes. because there's other people that are moving through time as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he's the only person that they're utilizing for this, right? You know, they're they're you know, and, and so you think that when you go back to the beginning and volunteer duty, you think he'd almost be happy to get volunteer duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I might you know. So, so the doctors decide, hey, we're, you know, he's excited about going back. Yeah. So they're going to take him back. So, and the doctors are, they're really precise about where they're sending him. Yes. These are the best doctors <laughs> underground in 2000 and, or well, 1997. Well, yeah. I don't know when they were. Yeah. They, I don't know when they were. Actually, actually, this movie is supposed to be set in 2035. 2035. 2035 is, is the year it's supposed well, to be Well, that set. makes sense because Cole was a kid, a kid at the right? airport in 96. Right. Yes. Yeah. So he's 41, which, yeah, that, that makes about uh, right sense as far as Willis's age at the time. So, so they, they send him into the time machine again and, and right as planned he wakes up in a trench in world war one totally naked <laughs> totally naked, totally naked in a trench in world war one and, and and here's where i think they did a pretty good job with with kind of tying some plot stuff together so of course he's popping up and people are kind of like wow you know yelling at him i think they're in france i, I think they're speaking french yeah i think that's Something right like that. yeah and all of a sudden they take this body by in a stretcher and it's jose it's yes, his old it's his cellmate. old cellmate who yeah which just plays in later in the movie because Madeline Stowe is doing this lecture about, you know, I don't even know what she's like really talking about. She's talking about the apocalypse and all these different types of things and warning signs that we've seen throughout history. And she shows this picture and you actually see Jose yes, yes. You know, in this World War Two, which will play into something that happens at the end of the movie, which I think is probably like one of the cooler things in the movie. I agree with that. Yeah. And so, you know, of course... Bruce Willis, Cole's only in 19-whatever. 19-whatever. Or 19-16-whatever. Yeah, he's only there for like a few moments and boom, and he flashes and now he's in 1996. Yes. All right. And he immediately goes and abduct, abducts mm-hmm. Madeline Stowe. Right. At this point, now I'm going to kidnap her. I'm going to kidnap her. Right. Because, right. you, know, she, you know, she doesn't, yeah. And so now we kind of get this kind of story. And this is where I think the movie kind of takes this kind of turn where I think it could have been done a little bit better. I agree with that. Yeah, because he's like, this court, of course, you know, kidnaps her in Baltimore mm-hmm. and says, I, we need to go to Philadelphia, Philadelphia. because yes. that's the where the 12, the 12 monkeys, monkeys were formed. Mm-hmm. So, and then that's where they have that eclectic scene that you were just talking about where they're going down the, the, the highway and he hears Blueberry Hill. He hears, um, uh, what's the, oh, it's a wonderful life. Yeah, wonderful life. He sticks his head out the window like a dog. <laughs> like a and I dog. mean, like, it was, yeah, it was a little too much. too much. A little too much. But then they get to Philadelphia and oh, and the other thing, oh, and this is the best part. So here's another one of those threads that they tie to this movie that is just kind of like, 
on its own, very kind of clever, but you know, you kind of like, you tied too many threads, you kind of formed a knot. Yeah. You know, that yeah, happens. Yeah. But we get this story about Ricky Nelson. Oh, yeah. The yeah, old yeah. well and the boy story. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many times has this one been used? Right. Yeah. So there's this boy that's in a well somewhere, and, and you know, of course, everybody's worried about it. It's popping him. up. Like, it's the national news. I mean, it is it is the, the story of the day in this time. There's a boy that's gone down a well, and they're trying to get him out, and they're mobilizing, you know, drillers and National Guard to try to get, rescue this boy from the well. And Willis is like, He's in a barn. He's in a barn, yeah. He's in a barn. Well, and here's where the knot forms, okay, in the, on these threads. is because pretty much within that same scene that they try or sewing this thread in on Ricky Nelson in the well, they continue to th- th- uh, thread in the Florida Keys string. Oh, yeah. And I didn't talk about it earlier, but when they were at the mental hospital with Brad Pitt back in 1990, there were a lot of commercials on TV about, oh, visit the Florida Keys. Keys. And so you get, like, commercials about the Florida Keys coming through here, too. Mm -hmm. So here's another one of these, like, threads that they're trying to tie through. And and it plays an important part in the movie, but mm, still. That that one is excessive, I think. Do you think the Florida Keys, like, paid to be a part of that? I I don't know if there was product placement in that or not, but... Because this is a little bit before the, the was, whole product yes, placement. Yes. Where, where Coke's going to pay you to put their Coke in every scene or whatever. Because because what we find out later is that Cole's never been to a beach before. Right. And so, you know, he wants to go to the beach for keys. But, I mean, Biloxi could have paid for that. Sure. <laughs> <Of course>. uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Biloxi needs to increase Visit tourism. Cape Hatteras. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of beach towns. I don't know why it had to be the Florida Keys. So, they finally get to Philadelphia. And, it, you know, Malin Stowe's been kidnapped now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going through, like, of course, the ghetto in Philadelphia, because I guess, you know... That's... Nothing, everything's ghetto in 1996, <laughs> yeah. right? I don't I mean, remember 96 being so ghetto. 96 was awesome. The tech bubble is, is booming. <laughs> we're making money. Clinton's president. He's, you know, doing his thing. Like, we're fine. And 96 is kind of fun. Yeah, but not not in this Not world. in Philly or Baltimore. <laughs> not in Philly or Baltimore. Yeah, so they get to the Philadelphia, and they're, like, you know, looking around for the 12 Monkey headquarters, and somehow they end up in this, like, abandoned theater. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, remember that? And they end up in the abandoned theater. They're walking around. Cole's got a gun. And all of a sudden, like, they get jumped by these two guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, Bruce Willis is getting beat up a little bit, and one of them throws Madeline Stowe down to the ground. He's going to try to rape her. And... Cole goes nuts. Total Bruce Willis, like, wanting to beat somebody up. Lots of anger in this movie. Lots of anger. Lots of anger. Which which brings up a very important question. Of course. Could James Cole beat up Max Cady? He could fight him. I'm not sure he he beats him. How long would he last? I I mean, I'll give him two rounds, maybe. I mean, it's going to be... They're going to fight it out. Uh, If I were picking anybody from this movie to fight him, it's going to be the bear. You think the bear could be Max Cady? I think Katie? the bear beats Max Cady. But what if I was one of the doctors in the future and I could take back Bruce Willis every time he was about to get beat ah, by Max Cady? Now, now. <laughs> Heal him up and send him send back. Him right back. Send him right back to Max Cady. He's I, a fresh James Cole. I see what you've done here. <laughs> I, I think he could do it. No, no, wait, no. I know. I, I don't think he could do it. I, this, I do not think James Cole is going to be the first guy that we've talked about that can beat Max Cady. I'm still putting my money on Max Cady. Me too. The bear's the only guy I'm taking in this. All right. Well, the bear's not human, so he doesn't count. All right. Fair enough. Moving <laughs> along. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, he's like, stop the car. Stop the car. And he, like, runs out and he pulls about some, like, you know, the little banners off the wall and sees, like, the 12 monkey graffiti. And it's like, they're here. They're here. Yeah. So, Madeline Stowe is faced with a very important decision at this point. Of course. 
the guy that just kidnapped me that I think is mentally insane that disappeared out of the mental hospital six years ago has left me in my car 20 feet away by myself. So I, A, can drive away mm-hmm. and call the cops, or B, I can wait for him. I can wait for him. Right. And that's a real problem of mine with this movie as we move through it is if you're a psychiatrist, if you're a licensed, competent medical professional, like how much does it take for you to fall in love or to really be interested in the the person who claims to be from a future time and is, you know, seemingly nutballs at every turn and kidnaps you. Oh, yeah. And he kidnapped me. Well, and this goes back to what I've said on several occasions already. Uh, Hollywood screenwriters are so desperate to bake a love story in, they'll try anything. Absolutely. And it's just ridiculous. Every movie does not lead a love story. We saw it with Juliette Lewis and Robert De Niro in our first movie. Yep. We saw it with Dracula and uh, Winona Ryder in our second movie. We saw it with Dave last week. Yeah. Um, Burt Reynolds kidnapped a woman and she fell in love. Of course. I mean, I guess... I, I guess he was Burt Reynolds. He was Burt Reynolds. But I guess this, the, the moral of the story is either be like crazy, insane psychopath or kidnap somebody, and they will fall in love Absolutely. with you. That, that's, I guess that's right. That's what we're learning through this podcast so far. So far. <laughs> so far. Uh, please do not put that into practice. <laughs> you know, there will probably not be good results. <laughs> yes, and no way are we endorsing kidnapping anybody. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So, so, so they think that they found the 12 Monkeys hideout, so they run into the 12 Monkeys... And it's just a, just kind of a mess from here too. But here's the one thing, and then we can like move on to something else for a little bit. But they they find these like three younger people, and of course they deny knowing the twelve monkeys and all that. And Bruce Willis, being Bruce Willis, pulls a gun out, starts going going a little mm-hmm. crazy on him, and one of them blurts out, "I told you, Goins was going to get us into trouble or something like that." And of course now they know Goins is part of the twelve monkeys. We got to stop. Brad Pitt, we got to stop the 12 monkeys. They're the ones with the virus. If we stop them, the world will be saved. That's right. That's right. So, anyway, so, I mean, these apocalyptic movies sometimes go a little bit off the edge. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think so, too. I think and so, why too. Why is that? I, I, so, I think there's a few reasons. Like, I, I think we're in this um, era where we have a ton of post-apocalyptic movies, and I think that, that we probably have more now than we ever have with post-apocalyptic and dystopian movies. And I think that one of the reasons is... In like when this was filmed in 1995, and even up through modern times, we're a relatively secure society. So these dark things delving into that um, is not as hard for us, right? I mean, like there weren't a ton of post-apocalyptic movies being shot during World War II because everybody's life was kind of in the balance. Well, what you had more then, uh, maybe not necessarily in movies, but maybe in literature, you had kind of had like the 1984s, the Brave New Worlds, right. where it wasn't necessarily apocalyptic. It was kind of more. Just uh, kind of you know uh, uh, a different kind of society and like a shift yeah, in kind of yeah. societal norms and and, th- and expectations and like you know big government and things like that. It was more social versus kind of like violent and things like that. Right, right. And I think that we're secure in modern times in, in, on one hand, but also we feel like we're really at the edge of the abyss as well. And so I think that plays into that. And I also think that you know uh, one of the things that we see in all of these post-apocalyptic films is that the end of time end of human existence doesn't ever come right like no. humans always endure and i think it, it, it kind we're, of affirms we're the, we're why, the greatest roaches in the history absolutely, of the world absolutely i think it affirms why we struggle to keep you know our world together i think that's one of those things and it it, it sort of has that sense of uh, human spirit I, I think against something like that well and i think like from a movie standpoint from a viewer standpoint 
is because if you ever watch an uh, apocalyptic movie where only 10% of the population or 5% of the population survives, so most people die, but you're watching the movie going, oh, I'd be one of the people that survived. Right, of course. And, <laughs> I, learned that, yeah, I learned that a long time ago. You identify with somebody in this movie. Every movie is trying to get you to identify with some character within it. Right. And those are the movies you love the most, are the ones where you identify with this character. Even if you're a super nerdy dude living in your mom's basement, you still think you're Han Solo. Right, right? <laughs> exactly. And you would survive, and you could take the Millennium Falcon to the Death That's Star. exactly yeah. right. That's yeah, right. And, and, they, and they wouldn't even be able to get the Millennium Falcon started. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't run to the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah, they'd trip over their own shoelaces. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, quickly, what are your favorite... Um, Movies with with apocalyptic themes or post apocalyptic themes or even dystopian themes. Do you have any favorites? Well, you know, I, I've said before, I'm a Kevin Costner junkie. You know, so like, you know, I love the Postman. I know you love the Postman. I love, I love the Postman. I love Waterworld. Yeah, I, I love yeah. things like that. I love those epical ones. Um, now, if I, if I had to go really back. Uh, you know, like something like Swing It Green. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really um, good one. I, you know, something that's a little creepier. What about you? Um, so I, some of the, my favorite ones are, are newer. I think The Road is one of the best post-apocalyptic movies, and I think that book is great. Um, all the Mad Max stuff I think is good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the one recently, A Quiet Place, I thought that one was excellent. Uh, Bird Box is the movie of the moment. I think that one was good. So is that um, a movie or a miniseries? It's a movie. It's oh, a movie okay. on Netflix. Um uh, 28 Days Later, Sneaky Good, if you've never seen that one. You know what the worst apocalyptic movie is? What's that? Apocalypse Now. Because it's not even about the apocalypse. <laughs> no. It's just a freaking Vietnam movie. But it, it, it misleads you. Yeah, but it's a great movie. It is a great movie, it's but great it's not movie. about the apocalypse. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. So, so anyway, so, so we're back here in Philadelphia. They, they think they found the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. And, of course, oh, one, one thing that I forgot to mention when, when uh, Bruce Willis was at World War One, he got shot. Yes, he got shot, yeah. Yeah, so, so then they, they, they leave and they go looking for, you know, Brad Pitt's character and they pull off to the side of the road because, you know, Malin Stowe oh, is starting to warm up to him a little bit. I got to get this bullet out. So she's a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I know she went to medical school or whatever. She went to school a long time. Is she really qualified to remove a bullet? So everybody who's a psychiatrist – not a psychologist, but a psychiatrist has an MD. They went to medical school, and then they did residencies in psychiatry. But she hasn't taken a bullet, let alone you know a splinter, out of somebody since she was in medical school. But maybe she remembers. Well, I mean, she you know just some gauze. They just need like yeah, some gauze yeah, and yeah, some right. like some neosporin and some tweezers. Yeah, little little gauze, tweezers, little salve. You're in business. Yeah. So and, and and she's rewarded. You know, you know he he rewards her. Awesomely, yeah. By throwing her in the trunk, <laughs> her in the trunk. <laughs> he, locks her, he locks her in the trunk, and uh, and so then he decides he's he's going to go. He, he's going to the mansion of Brad Pitt's dad. Right. So so Brad Pitt's dad owns this gigantic, like I don't know, like uh, like a pharmaceutical type company. He's a virologist, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's a, he's a, he's a he's a brilliant scientist. Studying virology and, and that kind of thing, right? And, and 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 he, you know, Cole is convinced that Goins is, you know, gonna like set this virus. So he goes in, he confronts him. It doesn't really go well, you know. Of course, Goins is still crazy, right? Yeah, you know, still crazy. He makes a big scene. Bruce Willis some, somehow still finds a way to escape and goes back and gets Madeline Stowe out of the car. The cops are coming. Yeah, guess, she's honking the horn and she's wailing away, right? Like kind of getting well. Right at there. First, yeah, once he gets her out of the trunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then she's wailing, you know, honking the horn, and then all of a sudden Bruce Willis disappears again. So guess what we get? 
disappearing Bruce Willis. We get a disappearing uh, Bruce Willis, and we get a Florida. All right, we get a. Oh, we, airport, we get another <laughs> visit to Florida Keys. Yeah, <laughs> we get, a, we get a, uh, a go to the Florida Keys, and we get an airport scene. A little too much on those, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, quickly, you know, we talked about Bruce. One thing we I, I skipped over, or I didn't interject. When Bruce Willis was escaping from the mental asylum, did you notice what the guard was reading? No, I didn't. He was reading one of those tabloids, Weekly World News or whatever, yeah. about the Bat Boy. Do you remember the Bat Boy? Oh, I remember the Bat Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah he's, he's reading the Weekly World News with the Bat yeah. Boy on the cover. Well, it's funny because um, over the holidays, we watched Men in Black. And if you remember from Men in, the original Men in Black at the end, when, when um, Tommy Lee Jones is like, Trying to figure out and solve the mystery of the aliens. Yeah, he tells Will Smith, "We got to go like get the news sources or something like that." And he goes up to some newsstands and buys all the like yeah. acquirers yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. actually follow the leads to find the aliens. So it's just kind of funny. But yeah, who doesn't remember Bat Boy? Right. Yeah. Bat, there was even a musical about Bat Boy. Was there really? There really was. I don't think it lasted long. <laughs> I never heard of it. Uh, I wonder if you can get that on DVD. <laughs> We'll cover that one next I, it week. It didn't win any Tony's kids. <laughs> no. Uh, so Bruce Willis has disappeared again, wakes back up in the future, and, you know, future doctors are interviewing Cole. And at this point, Cole's, like, kind of starting to go a little, like, a little bit crazy. But also at this time... A little more crazy. A little mean. more crazy. But no, now he's starting to question insanity. Yeah, right. Now he thinks he's insane. He Now he really legitimately yeah. thinks he's insane because all this time traveling is taking its toll on him. Not sure... He doesn't you know, know what's real at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's weird, and I, I can't decide if I really like this or not, but in like the current 1996, Madeline Stowe's kind of starting to go crazy too. Mm-hmm. Because this is when she uh, finds the picture of Bruce Willis... Right. Back back in World War One, right? There's the photo of, of his cellmate being carted off, and and Willis is laying like in a trench, naked, and you can see his face. So she sees her guy there, right? Exactly. And this is she gets a call from the cops that mm-hmm. the bullet that she had pulled from right. him was like from 1914 it, it, or something yeah, it's, like it's that. It's a World War One era bullet, pre 1920s bullet. But then also around this same time, she finds out that. The boy was in the barn. The boy was in the barn all along. The, the boy was national in the barn news. All along. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then, then, so she, she, uh, she calls Jeremy's dad, who's it was that Christopher, Christopher Plummer, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, Christopher Plummer, who's had a pretty good career, but she calls him up and like warns him about you know this virus thing. Your son's crazy, and actually, he's very proactive. Yeah. So, so he goes up to his assistant. Um, who's his, his guy? His name is David Morris, and you would recognize him. He was in Saint Elsewhere. Uh, he was in uh, the Green Mile. Yeah. He's that kind of that blonde, kind of strawberry blonde guy. He always looks like he's you know, got deer in the headlights look on yeah, his face. That's you, right. You, that's you, right. You'd recognize him, and and tells him, hey, we need to like tighten up security, you know, because something might be going down. And and the David Morris character, you know, says, yeah, we'll we'll tighten up security. Then we're coming up on my favorite scene in the movie. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, and usually I have two favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. This week I'm just going to have one. Okay. What do you got? So Bruce Willis comes back, and he's all confused, wandering around. He's right outside the, the 12 Monkeys headquarters, mm-hmm. and he's actually wanting to surrender to the police. Yeah. And, and Madeline Stowe finds him and grabs him and is like, no, I believe you now, blah, 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 blah. Right. And takes him to this kind of trashy hotel. Mm-hmm. They check in. By the hour, it's 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 by the hour. Number one, uh-huh. and number two, as soon as they go upstairs, the the person that checked him in makes a phone call. Mm-hmm. Is like, hey, do you know who this new girl is? Mm-hmm. She just checked in, whatever, blah blah blah. So then they go up to the room and they're talking. They start hugging. 
Bruce Willis puts his head on her lap. They're this, you know, it's just this love story again. This ridiculously stupid love story. Absurd. Absurd. Completely absurd. And then a pimp busts into the right. room. How? Yeah. I mean, the worst dressed pimp you've ever seen. <laughs> just the worst dressed pimp. And of course, he thinks she's a car girl. Right. That's not who, on his payroll. Yes, who, who's on his turf, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Ridiculous. This has no reason to be in the movie whatsoever, but it is awesome. Because, you know, Cole is like, I want I, I, I want to stay here with you. They're both going crazy. And basically, this is where we see Bruce Willis in his finest. Yes. And this is where earlier you said there were some Bruce Willis things that Terry Gilliam told him he couldn't do. Right. This is one he let him get away with. Right, right. Because he just beats the crap out of this. Well, pit. there's a lot of anger in Bruce Willis in this film, right? Yeah. Like, he's really got this pinup rage. And and he's knocked around a couple of guys. And this pimp, he's going to just full on take down with the phone, with yes. an old school rotary phone, right? And just and you can see they zoom in on Bruce Willis, and he's got those crazy eyes popping yeah. out of his head, just wailing away on this guy's head. But he doesn't kill him, right? He drags him into the bathroom, shuts the door. Madeline still is going crazy, thinking she's going to kill him, right? Right. And then Bruce Willis comes back out, and his mouth's all bloody. And what we didn't mention earlier is Bruce Willis found out through some other people that had traveled to the past that there's a sensor in his tooth. Right, they track you through your teeth. So he he he, yank, he you know yanked his tooth out, and then they run away. And this is like right here, the stupidest, but yet the best line in the whole movie. The cops all show up, and they go in to get the pimp out, and as the pimp, you know, he's still alive, and and they're asking him what's going on. And he's like. I was attacked by a coked up whore and a crazy dentist. <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it just, it just tickled me at the moment. Yeah. No, that's a great, great line in this movie. Yeah. So on the subject of absurd things about this movie, like that, that's all absurd. I, I was going through some notes and, and I found uh, something that was really hilarious to me. Um, one of the, the taglines that they wanted to use for this movie and they ultimately had to cut it because it was so ridiculous was, you know, 12 monkeys, the future is in the hands of a man who has none. It sounded like he has no hands. <laughs> it sounded like he has no hands. So what else could it be? What else Who came up with that? I don't know. But oh, they, they should have gotten fired they, on the spot. They, they do not work in Hollywood anymore. <laughs> I don't think so. And if they do, they're a waiter. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that, that's terrible. That's terrible. You know, uh, you know, I mean, overall, you know, I, there's not a lot to say about like things like soundtrack and cinematography. I think it was all good. I think it was all Terry Gilliam's doing. Yeah. You know, it's not like, I mean, you, you do have, uh, yeah, the music by Paul Buckmaster, who's kind of like the guy we had last week. He's worked with a lot of pop stars. He's worked with Bowie and Elton John, The Stones, Guns N' Roses. He's worked with Train. Yeah. Oh, great. Those are my favorite guys. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, but, you know, nobody really big, you know, kind of behind the camera other than Terry Gilliam. The screenplay, is David Peoples, yeah. you may have heard of him. You know, he wrote Blade Runner, mm-hmm. Unforgiven, Hero. Yeah, solid stuff there for sure. Um, well, and he wrote this one with his wife. Okay, but she's then, she's she's done some screenplays too, not as notable as things. But I mean, that'd be kind of cool to like do a project yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then you thought maybe you know it might be a little less dystopian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, what were they doing at night when they were writing this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, was it like candlelight and a glass of wine and writing about naked Bruce Willis? <laughs> I don't know. I don't I mean, know. How many butts can know. we fit in this movie? Well, <laughs> yeah, so like the the soundtrack is is largely forgettable, except I do think the like the theme that plays through it, which is kind of like the organ grinder sort of a sound, um, like you know with the old organ grinder with the monkey at his side. So I think that's 
well done. I mean, it's it's kind of an annoying theme, but it but it fits with the film, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to wrap this one up real quick because, you know, probably maybe a little too plot heavy uh, uh, in this episode about the movie. And, you know, because there's so much going on in the time travel and things like that. But just, let's just wrap it up real quick. We got a couple things going on. The boy in the well was lying. Correct. Never in the well in the first place. Bruce Willis doesn't know where he's at in time. Correct. Brad Pitt's crazy. Madeline Stowe's even crazier for falling in love with a crazy guy. Yep. And then this whole like thread of like the like dream scene going back to the airport. So here's basically what happens. You know, Madeline Stowe's trying to like get Bruce Willis away to take him to the Florida Keys. Right. Right. They 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 put on costumes and he's got a fake mustache and they've got. Airline tickets to fly to the floor. Well, and, and right before this, let me take it back just 30 seconds. Right before this, there was a thing that happens where the 12 monkeys actually, Brad Pitt actually does something and they thought this was going to be the virus release, but really all they did was kidnap his dad, took him to a zoo and released all the animals. And that's why all the animals were out at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so this is the big payoff of this movie, actually. This is the, this is the, the, the part where you really kind of figure out what's going on. That, that really the 12 monkeys, the 12 monkeys the have nothing to do with global extinction. Right. They have nothing to do with the virus. So then let's get back there at the airport. Now they're on their way to the Florida Keys. But then they realize that the guy from St. Elsewhere... Right. The the underling of Dr. Yeah, Goings. Who's been in this movie for all of about a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. He's the real bad guy. Right. Probably the least exposed bad guy in a movie ever. Right. But then they figure out he's the one that has the virus. And he actually opens the virus in the airport, mm-hmm. which makes you wonder why didn't more people die? Or maybe they did. Maybe Who they knows? do. We don't see the back of that. We don't. Right. We don't see the back of it. And of course, Bruce Willis chases him down and he's the one that shoots him. And little kid Bruce Willis sees him. Sees his, his, and, himself die. Yeah. And it's just kind of, kind of wraps up weird. And then it's just like the stupidest ending ever. Cause it's like little kid Bruce Willis walking out to the parking lot with his parents. And then there's just this zoom in into his eyes and the movie's over. And you're just kind of like, what? You know, what did I just watch for two hours? And it's like, you know, well, I mean, so, it was entertaining. Yeah. But so, ending so, was not good. Right. So so the other thing about that, too, is, is the, uh, the, the guy with the virus, he gets on the plane, and the woman who sits down next to him is the woman from the underground who's time-traveled back. And she basically, you know, says her name is Jones, and she's in insurance, and she's there to kind of follow him around, right? Like, so, like, as we go through this whole thing... There are people being sent from the future back to try to track Bruce Willis, to try to track the virus. Like he can never get away. Which, if you really think about it from a time travel perspective, and you know, I'm I'm no expert in time travel. I already mentioned my my, my only experience at it. But you think that you could have just made this like a four minute movie, right? Because eventually they would have figured out the exact moment to yeah. go back to stop yeah. the virus, yeah. and it, it would have been, been shorter than the original. Right. <laughs> but, but to your point about the book ending of that, that's a big Terry Gilliam theme in his movies. He likes to start a movie with a scene and end a movie with a scene that is the same or similar. So he bookends this one, and like you said, it's kind of a, it's not, it's not my favorite ending either. I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Now the only thing you know, and, and this really isn't related to the movie, but I just thought it was an interesting tidbit as I was as I was researching this that that would be a good ending, or maybe it wouldn't. Let's find out. Brad Pitt, did you uh, see what high school he went to? I don't recall. No, he, he's from uh, Missouri, I think, somewhere in the Midwest like that, to a high school called Kickapoo High School. Oh, Kickapoo, yeah. Kickapoo High School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you think you'd probably want to change the name of that high school. You think? And you think you can name it after Brad Pitt, 
But is Pitt High School any better than Kickapoo? Just something to think about. Yeah, yeah. Just something to think about. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's little things like that that, that 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 we work on for you all. That's exactly right. That is <laughs> exactly little things right. like that. Yeah. So um, quickly to, to dive back in, speaking of Brad Pitt, so – uh, we haven't talked about any Oscar nominations or any business with this film, but Brad Pitt was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the Oscar. He did win the Golden Globe for Supporting Actor. Quickly, the nominees for Supporting Actor that year were uh, so Kevin Spacey won for Usual Suspects, Ed Harris for Apollo 13, which is one of my favorite roles of that year, actually. I love that movie, love that role. Mm-hmm. James Cromwell for Babe, which I never got. Like, I don't understand Pig Talking movie. Pigs. Uh, <laughs> and, and the great Tim Roth for Rob Roy. So I don't oh. think you can argue with Kevin Spacey for Usual Suspects. That's a that's a big class. That's a really, that's good, a really, really good, good group. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And this movie was it got Brad Pitt an Oscar nom. It was also nominated for costume design, which it did not win. I think Sense and Sensibility won this year. Uh, you're going to give it to the classical, right? Piece. Right. And, yep. and the best picture this year was Braveheart. Uh, the other nominees were Apollo 13, Babe, Il Postino. So it was basically that good. Sense, no, it wasn't. <laughs> was like, but it was really this, that good. I don't think so. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch a movie about a pig. I mean, I don't know why that movie got so much. I, it was in the moment. I don't remember. I, I remember thinking. You gotta be kidding me. Somebody paid somebody. Gotta be. Yeah. Gotta be. Um, yeah, so where would you put this movie if we're talking about the best or your favorite Brad Pitt pictures, where would you go with this one? Well, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the same thing with Bruce Willis. Because there's two different categories, because both yep. these people are such unique actors and that they do two things very well. Yep. They can both carry a movie on their own. Mm-hmm. But they also are not afraid to jump in as kind of a supporting role. Mm-hmm. And not saying this is one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies because it's not, but you think of what he did with the Oceans movies. Right. So so the first one is, and you mind if I answer both of these guys at the same of course. time? No, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. So number one Brad Pitt movie is True Romance. Yeah. He's great I mean, in that. It's, 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 it's great. Very small part. Yeah, very small part, but that's a great movie. Great movie. And, a, I mean, obviously, Pulp Fiction for Bruce Willis. I agree 100% on that. So then if I have to take it back a step and say, okay, movies where they actually were the main lead character. You know, I think with Brad Pitt, I'm kind of torn between Fight Club and Moneyball. Those are both on my list. Okay. I've got both of those there, and I think they're both great. And I, I really I really like The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. Mm. I thought it was a, a, a very different character than what he, you know, it wasn't as, you know, diehard guy. It wasn't as crazy guy. It was kind of a sensitive, kind of quiet, spooky character. So I, I probably would say that for Bruce. What about you? Yeah, so for Brad Pitt, I wrote down a bunch. You know, we talked about uh, Fight Club and Moneyball. One of my favorite um, supporting roles that he has is in the movie Burn After Reading. Uh, I love him in that one. He's Never saw it. Ridiculous and awesome. It's another one of those where he kind of jumps into a weird role, and it's awesome. Uh, I also love him in Seven, and I mm-hmm. love him in California. Of course, yeah. Those and are my that, favorites. And that's right around the same time frame, yes, too. Yes. Now, here's the interesting thing. So, how many Oscars do you think that? You know, what, what do you think his his trophy case looks like? Uh, it, it, it's not very deep, is it? You will be surprised. Hit me. He has six Oscar nominations. Right. Okay. Now, here's the thing. His wins are as producers. Gotcha. So he won as a producer of 12 Years and a Slave. Yeah, yeah. And he won, um, of course, he won the Golden Globe for 12 Monkeys, and he won a Golden Globe for 12 Years as a Slave. And actually, um, and he won as a producer in The Big Short. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he has three Emmy nominations. 
Oh, really? Yeah, you know, the friend stuff, yeah, yeah. things like that. Um, and he's probably about to win another Oscar as a producer because he's one of the producers on the Dick Cheney movie. Yeah, Vice. On Vice. Yeah. So this is also a guy that, like, you know, has obviously had a massive amount of success in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. He's like a Clint Eastwood where he's already starting because he's what? Early 50s? Yeah, he's, he's not very old. Yeah, early 50s. He's already starting to move himself behind the camera. Now, I don't think he directs. Right. I don't think yet. Um, but I, I think this guy's going to have a pretty long Hollywood career and this guy's never going to be hungry. No, never, ever. He's great. And, and so quickly to go back to Bruce Willis and my favorite Bruce Willis roles, um, Pulp is my favorite. Of course. Uh, the sneaky good one is Bonfire of the Vanities. That's a sneaky good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Moonlighting is always going to be one of my favorites. Oh, well, I, you know, I didn't list it as a movie, but right. I, mean, I was going to ask you. I mean, I, I watched, that was one of those, like, every, you know, every, every week every shows. Every week I had to every watch it. Well, no, here's the thing earlier. You talked about Terry Gilliam being born in America and then, like, you know, renouncing the citizenship. Did you know Bruce Willis was born in Germany? I did not know that. Yeah, Bruce Willis was actually born in Germany. He moved to the U.S. when he was two. So we have these two uh, people that were connected in this movie kind of crossing paths. Very interesting. I'm not sure if he ever renounced his German citizenship. Ah, uh-huh. well, interesting. Interesting. And that. you know, I, you know, he's in a band. I've, yeah, I've actually oh, yeah. seen his band before. Oh, have you? Yeah, they're actually pretty good. I saw him in Vegas. This was, I don't know, a decade or so ago. And entertaining. You saw him like hard rock. I've seen him on TV doing this thing and. Later, good, fun. Later that night, I actually walking through the casino, I actually saw him in like the whatever super poker room, whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're playing by himself. Yeah, you because know, of course he can't play out with the the, the normal folk like Correct. us. Correct. You know, but you know, it's yeah, interesting guy. Yeah, no, yeah. I I think he's had a great career. I don't. I, I think as I went through his filmography, I found more compelling movies on the Brad Pitt side. But he's done a ton of stuff, and he's made a ton of movies, and he's been very entertaining. And he, like you said, he's a very interesting guy. He's you know, uh, he, he did a uh, a Comedy Central roast a couple a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. Did yeah, you see that? I know what you're talking. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, I'm gonna it, give it to you. It, and, he, and he totally said Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then he like cussed a lot. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> right. that's right. It, it was something that at the end where he was like, you know, I can do whatever the one. I'm you know effing Bruce Willis, which right. was yeah okay. You are you can say that. You get yeah. right. If I stood up and said I, I'm effing Nate Grush on people would throw stuff at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or I'd probably get arrested. One of the two. Uh, you know, and you think about this movie too. And, and granted, you know, you got to put things where they are. You know, from a timeline standpoint, but the it, this movie was made for thirty million, mm-hmm. grossed almost one hundred seventy, right? Yeah, grossed yeah. about one hundred seventy. I mean, that's a pretty good pull. It, it, yeah, it, it was very successful, and I guess I, we can talk about this in a minute when we kind of wrap up. But it, massively popular amongst young men, particularly, and and young people as a whole in in the, the teens and twenties. Well, I showed you when we first started discussing this movie. So a full full disclosure here. I actually have a binder of like work that I did back in the in the nineties of different things, and I actually still have a binder that has the Twelve Monkey sticker yeah, on it. Yeah, you know. So it's like, yeah, I mean, there, this movie connected with a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Whether it was just the cool actors, whether it was the cool plot, you know, just kind of, you know, just the it, it was just a, it was just kind of you know. We've talked about fun movies before. We've talked about, you know, dramatic movies. I think this was just kind of like a cool movie. Yeah, right. And and it and it does have that dark side, that post-apocalyptic. And if you're in your if your 20s, your late teens, there's there's some bleakness there that you're trying to fight through. So it can kind of speak to you a little well, bit. But here's the difference, and, and not to get terribly, like, political. You put a movie out like that today, 
are the 20 somethings going to respond to it the same way? Because, you know, even though we were Gen X and every, and everybody said the same thing about Gen X that they say about millennials. And guess what? Everybody said the same thing about boomers that they said about Gen X and whatever generation goes back, you know, people have been, you know, older people have been talking down the younger generations forever. forever. It's, it's nothing new. Um, so we were all the slackers back then. But we can watch a movie like this and enjoy it and think it's cool and get into it without it, like, you know. Without it being a referendum on our political situation. Right. Or just, like, a referendum on me as a person. And right. Like, That's you know, right. Whatever. It That's was just, right. like, kind of like, hey, cool movie. You know? Yeah, it's I like, agree. you know, so I don't know if you could kind of pull this off as much today because I think everybody would you know, find something kind of, and it's not like Cannibal Run where it's like blatantly like offensive. Ridiculously offensive. It's just kind of more the connect, the people that would connect to this movie now, you know, I don't know what they would do with that and how they would apply it to their lives in a positive way. Right, right. And then I could be wrong. What do I know? Maybe I'm the old guy now. Right. No, I don't know. I mean, we've evolved definitely in the way we consume uh, art, literature, movies is totally different and who knows how this would be received today, but I think your point is very valid on that. So, I guess, so as a wrap-up, you got anything else on this before we get rolling? No, no, wrap-up? I, I, I think I'm ready. Okay, so, uh, question number one, when are you going to watch this one again? I, I would have, t- before I watched it for this podcast, I would have probably said this is probably one of my favorite movies from the 90s. I still like it. I don't know, though, if I need to see it again for a while. And, um, I don't know, it, it's, you know, I, I think it was kind of like one of those that was like at the right time and place in my life mm-hmm. where I thought it was just really cool. Watching it again, it was still good. You know, I would definitely, you know, rainy day, Saturday afternoon, a type movie, but I'm not going to go out of my way to see it. Um, I don't know. What about you? I would agree with that. So the first time I watched it was when it came out. Second time I watched it was right before this podcast. I don't need to watch it again for 10 years. And as I was in the middle of this movie, I remember thinking, well, I th- think this movie's good. I can't wait to watch it again. And in the middle of it, I remember thinking the same thing I thought the first time I watched it was, this is kind of a dark slog for me. There's some stuff in here that I'm not enjoying that much. And, like, where's the payoff going to be? And at the end, the payoff is really good. The, the, the twist at the end, I think, is really good. But... It's not worth the the slog to get there. And so I'll, I'll put this one on the shelf for a while. Well, and admittedly, I might know this movie too well. Yeah. You know, and I and I know we're trying not to do movies like this on, on this podcast. And I know you said you hadn't seen it since then. I might know this movie too well to where it was just kind of like something that was kind of in the memory bank. A little it comfortable. Could, yeah. It was, it was like comfortable. Hey, here's my 90s, you know, when yeah. I had my like really long bangs and, you know, I was wearing my like tie-dye t-shirt. Flannel shirt rolled and, up. Know, and Birkenstocks and, you know, showing up 15 minutes late to work if I showed up at all. You know, so it's like, it, it like I connect it more with that era of my life as a mid-40s, you know, person. You know, it didn't connect as much with me you right. know and so i think i lost a little bit of it but that, i don't know that that's probably more on me than it is on the movie i think that's probably right but i think like i talked about earlier this was movie was massive amongst people in their 20s late teens to, to late 20s we're in our 40s now so we are going to process it differently and so i wonder how this movie would uh if we put a bunch of 25 year olds in and let them watch it how it would look to them yeah, it, it, that's a good question. Um, and the thing is, the interesting thing is, they would recognize the two main characters. Of course, well. yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes. It's now, not like it's not like Cannibal Run, like we talked about, where like 
twenty somethings are not are going to hate this movie because they don't know anybody in it and it's dumb. Right. Right. But this is oh, I know Brad Pitt, I know Bruce Willis, and okay, interesting. Yeah. I, well, and Madeline Stowe, I mean, she's still on TV. I yeah, think she was yeah, nominated yeah. for an Emmy. Now you knew they made a Twelve Monkeys TV show. I do know that. I yeah. didn't see one episode of it, but I do know <laughs> that neither. that happened. Me neither. And Madeline Stowe was actually in the TV show. Oh, really? Okay. You think Brad yeah. Pitt or uh, Bruce Willis went on the TV Not show? Not at all. Nope. <laughs> no, nope. neither. No uh, that's neither here nor there. All right, so wrapping it up. So answer the question: Is this movie still good? What grade do you give it? You know, I'm still going to give it a B. I'm still going to give it a solid B. I, I, I mean, I know I've been kind of hard on it, and, you know, and once again, kind of back to the point that I think this I was a little closer to this movie coming in than like maybe the last couple of movies that we've done. So maybe I had a higher expectation mm-hmm. than I should have. Um, I'll give it a B. I agree. I think B is the right grade. I think the acting in it is really good. I think the story doesn't connect maybe as well as it did. And there, there are definitely a lot of things to, to, to pick at about it. But it's a B. It's an entertaining movie. And you've got two of the, the most bankable actors of our generation involved in it. And they're both putting out really good performances. So I, I would stick it at a B. Okay. Can I do the monkey cheer? Do it. Oh, 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 oh. All Is right, close? <laughs> it's good enough for me, man. All right, so that's been 12 Monkeys with Is That Movie Still Good? Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, please uh, subscribe, download, rate, review. We appreciate all the support we're getting, uh, and we will see you again next time with another fun movie. This has been a No Land in Sight podcast production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.